is constant the the opportunity and availability for constant for constant communion with God. Think about that. Now you can pray anywhere. You can pray anywhere. You can pray, you know, when the blue lights and red lights go on behind your car and pull you over. You can start praying right there, right? You ever do that? <laughs> you you can you can pray in the hospital. You can pray when the plane's going down. You can you can pray when you're walking your dog. You can pray. Hey, you can pray anywhere, right? You can pray ever. And that there's a there's a, a joy in the, to to that to us and the child of God. There really is. We can pray anywhere. We can sing almost anywhere, right? The Bible says the righteous thus sing and rejoice. One of the evidences of walking in the Spirit is you just have joy and a song in your heart. And hey, you, you, not everybody may like you singing everywhere, but you can sing anywhere and everywhere you want to sing. And if it's really that bad, you can, you can, you can be obedient to Ephesians 5.18 and, and uh, you know, be not drunk with, with wine or in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And go on and say, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody where? In your heart. As unto the Lord. And some people say, thank you. Keep it right there. It's not, keep it in the heart and don't let it come out, okay? And, but listen, we can pray anywhere. We can sing anywhere. We can ask God for the needs that we have anywhere. We can obey the Spirit of God anywhere. At any time, and we should have that type of an attitude and, and a readiness to obey in whatever situation and wherever we are. But there are times, there are times when God's working in our life is so deep and so powerful that our response needs to be just as deep and powerful. Let me say it this way. Our response needs to match, needs to match what God is doing. You've seen, you've been in meetings at times, you've been in, in, in services at times, and I'm telling you, uh, the, God shows up in a mighty way and the Spirit of God is working uh, in, a, in a mighty way and there's some people there just laid out on the floor praying and there's some over here and some over there and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the response, the response is, is matching uh, in, uh, what God is doing in a life and sometimes that happens, sometimes that happens and sometimes that's a lot of times that is necessary. We're talking about responding to God. Now, in our text here tonight, Jacob has just gotten word from his sons that Joseph is alive. For 22 years, this dad has believed that his favorite son, his son from his first wife, should have been his first wife, but he got tricked, and it was his second wife, but it was really the one he worked for and wanted, uh, Rachel, that son of his first wife, who he very well deemed the firstborn, his son he thought had been dead for 22 years. We know the story of that. I don't have to go into the background of all of that. But while uh, Jacob's sons were in, e were in Egypt for the second time during the famine getting food, it is at that second time that Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. They about passed out. They didn't think it was real. Uh, it was just quite a, quite an emotional thing. I couldn't. Uh, I would love to see that. Hopefully, that's on heaven's DVD when we get in there. I uh, get to heaven. We get to watch that one. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see the fear on those jokers' faces when they realize who it is. I'd like to see all that. And uh, so they came, and he has revealed himself to them. And he asked this question: Is my father still alive? And they said, Yes, he is. And so Joseph responded, and said, Go get him. I want you to bring him back. 
Actually, I want all of you to come back to Egypt. Uh, what a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, go back, leave your stuff behind. You're not going to need it. Get dad and come back to Egypt. And I like that. I've been thinking about that, Brother Bob. There's all the stuff we have here. We're just not going to need it where we're going. Amen. We have no need for it whatsoever. We can, we can have it. We can leave it here. Our neighbors can have it. I mean, whoever wants it, the Jehovah's Witnesses can have it. We're going to be gone. And... Uh, I just said, and listen, they, we don't need it where we're going, amen. We don't need it where we're going. And, and this is what Joseph told his brothers. Here's the camels. Here's the wagon train. Here's the provisions. Go back up into the land and get my father and all of you come back. And so they did. They went up into the land there, in, up into Canaan. They came up with this big train of camels. You can read it in Genesis 45 for, uh, for a, trying to sake of time and trying to hurry up through this portion of it but they came up into that area and I, I just wonder what Jacob thought when he knew his sons went to Egypt to go get some more food for him because of the famine and when they showed up with this massive camel train and it's like this is royalty this ain't just you know this isn't just U-Hauls coming this this belongs this has the king's stamp on it this has the Pharaoh's stuff all over it uh, who knows what Jacob thought when he saw that it'd be kind of like be kind of like your boy go off and uh, becomes real successful uh, in a, somewhere and he lands in your backyard in a helicopter and says, come on, Dad, I'm taking you back to L.A. This is where it's all at, right? He'd be like, whoa, who is this? No, you, I'm not going back to L.A. I, I mean, lower Alabama. That's North Florida. What L.A. are you thinking about? Oh, we, would, we don't want to go there. Amen. No. Who knows what Jacob thought? When they tell his father that that Joseph's alive, they kind of don't believe him. Then they say, well, actually, he's the governor of Egypt. Actually, he's second in charge in Egypt. Actually, Pharaoh himself said, you're you're number one in Egypt, except really for me. But essentially, you're kind of number one. And Jacob's going, oh, boy, no, there's no way. Don't do this to me. This isn't funny. It's like, Dad, look look at the moving equipment. Do you think we can afford this? Oh, okay. You didn't steal it, did you? No. <laughs> yeah. He almost has a heart attack, I think. And But the Bible says that Jacob's spirit was revived. And he decides, I want to go to Egypt. I want to go see Joseph. 22 years. He was 17 when he left. He's a grown man now with, with two sons. He says, I want to go see him. Now, hold on a minute. Joseph's living in where? Not Kansas, no. Egypt. Joseph is living in Egypt. Joseph. Joseph's in Egypt, not Kansas. Close. Arkansas is closer, but that's close. Wait, they're not supposed to be living in Egypt, right? Right. God has made a promise with Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. He promised within that covenant is the covenant of land, which is still theirs. Thank you very much. And it's still their land. We Listen, the Bible does not teach that the church replaces Israel. It's not there. God is going to come back and deal with Israel later at a later time. Even even uh, even uh, James, when that when that entourage went up to Jerusalem to ask some, letter, some things about the Judaizer, James himself quoted Amos and said... Uh, and said, yeah, um, uh, you know, the, the God is going to restore the throne of David, right? God's going to deal with them at, at another time. But here, the land was promised to, to Israel, and they're not supposed to be living in Egypt. 
They're supposed to be in Canaan land. Jacob knows this. He knows this, that it was given to them by covenant. He knows that the seed, Genesis 3.15, is supposed to be born in this land. But boy, is that a little bit of a quandary here. Because he wants to go back to Egypt to see his son, but he's got to know that they're not meant to live there. Hey, do you remember what Joseph said? Get all your stuff. Don't just, just, we'll leave the stuff behind, but get it. Let's come. Just come. Let's go. You're, bring, you're coming down. So they brought all of the children. They brought all of the, all of the people. They brought their animals and their goats. Listen, they, they cleaned out everything, everything that was there. You know what, was, what they were saying is, listen, you're not coming back to Canaan. You're living in Egypt. That's tough. Chapter 46 and verse 1 he goes. The entire family actually goes and leaves. He says, with all that they had, they left. They, they brought it down into Egypt. And there's some real big implications here. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. You know, we leave the house in the morning for work. You leave the house to run some errands. Uh, for you uh, Folks that are living your, living your best life now in retirement, you might leave the house to go do whatever you want to do. And, uh, but you know what? All your stuff's still there. When you leave in the morning, hopefully you don't pack up the lawnmower and the rakes and the shovels and the trash cans and all of these things to go run errands, right? If you were to back up every morning a U-Haul just to go run errands, somebody would think either you really have issues, you're a little touched in the head, or you're just not coming back. So he said, notice here in verse 1, he took all that he had. There's a really good indication here. They had no intention of returning to their things. Everything is with them and they're not coming back at all. Every vestige of their presence in Canaan is gone. And they're headed down to Egypt. Elvis has left the building, right? Jacob has left Canaan. And he's headed to Egypt. But I want you to notice what he does here in, in verse 1. Do you notice this? He said, And Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. That's an interesting location. He came to Beersheba, offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac, and God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here am I. So it is here in Beersheba, this is an interesting place, because it's here in Beersheba where Abraham had made that deal with Abimelech concerning the wells that he had dug, right? It's here in Beersheba. You can go back in Genesis chapter 21 and you can see that. Let me read to you verse 33 of 21. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He planted a grove there. He had made it a, a pact with, with, um, uh, with uh, Abimelech because you remember what happened. Abraham got a little bit out of the will of God. He went down into Egypt for, for the famine and he told Sarah, Hey, right, you're pretty good looking and I know what's going to happen. They're going to whack me and they're going to take you. So here's what you do. You just tell them you're my sister because it's partly true on my mother's side, however that went. And so she was a good wife and she said, Okay. And uh, she might have went, Okay. But I, I don't think she did. But... Uh, and here he is, and what do you know? He knew it. 
here's Sarah, and she's off living in Abimelech's house, right? And God came to Abimelech and said, hey, that's Abraham's wife. Don't touch her. And he's like, I didn't know. And God says, I know you didn't know. That's why I didn't kill you, right? And uh, so Abimelech calls Abraham up and says, hey, what'd you do, buddy? Uh, <laughs> oops, right? And, of course, they get it all worked out. Sarah goes back. And on top of that, Abimelech gives them a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of swag to go home with, a bunch of fun stuff and jewels and animals and all sorts of things like that. And he made, watch, he made this, this uh, pact here. He, he made this deal with Abimelech concerning, concerning some of these wells that were, decision, that, were, that, were, um, that were dug there. And watch, it is here at Beersheba where Abraham once again got revival in his life. He got back into the will of God. He planted a grove of trees as a reminder of his decision to walk with God. So Beersheba was an important place. Do this sometime in your spare time. Go through all the Word of God. <laughs> Take a while. And notice all of the times that God chooses a place to deal with His people. God chooses places. They're, they're very important. Geographical locations in the Bible are important when God chooses them. Yeah. A place. Don't, don't, we'll come back to that later. So Beersheba is the place where Abraham got right with God. It was also the place where God spoke to Hagar regarding Ishmael. Remember, Hagar you know, left the house after Ishmael, and she's out in the desert, and God says, listen, go back. I, I, I'll, I'll, he will be a, he'll be a mighty nation, Ishmael will, right? And you just go back. And God spoke to Hagar here. It was at Beersheba. Isaac built an altar here at the same place, he, right here at Beersheba, after God appeared to him and reassured him of the covenant that he had made with his father Abraham. So what is the deal with, with Beersheba? Obviously, uh, many of the... the Men and women have met with God right here at Beersheba. What is it? What is it? Well, I know one thing that's kind of interesting. It's the last stop before you get into Egypt. It's the very southern tip of Israel. It is the last place before you enter in. See, watch, they had been traveling traveling from wherever they were in, in, in Canaan. They had been traveling, they had been moving south, going into Egypt, and here they come unto this place, it, it's, it's the border, it's the line, it's, you are now, watch this, you are now at a point of no return. You are at a place, they've been, in, they've been in Canaan the whole time, but now they're at a place where the rubber is really going to hit the road, where there's no turning back. It was probably the point of, the great, of greatest fear for, Isaac, for, for, uh, for Jacob. Are you sure this is the will of God? Are you sure? Am I sure this is God's okay with this? Am I sure? Hey, I know God's met with us here before, met with people here before. Lord, are you sure? Are you sure? He's come to a border. Sherry and I were trying to get out of Canada one time. <laughs> Long story, I don't have time for it. And I got lost because... Well, I knew where I was. I was in Canada. I knew that. But uh, I got off a little bit because I didn't have data on my phone. I didn't have maps. And I'd made the trip a few times, and I knew where I was. But obviously I didn't because somewhere I didn't go south. I went kind of west, northwest, southwest. 
And uh, we're driving along. I thought, boy, these fields don't look right. And, uh, boy, we're driving, 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 driving. And finally, and here's how I, my logic works. I'll just keep going south. you got to hit the border somewhere. Once I get in the old USA, I'll be happy, and I can find my way out from there. And we got to this little town, and I asked them, and they said, oh, yeah, it's just, just down the street, take a right, and you're right at the border. I'm like, awesome. And it was close. And, uh, boy, now for us, that was, I was pretty happy about that. Every time I would hit the Canadian border, the several times I've gone over the border, uh, once in uh, North Dakota, most of the times I'd go across at Sweetgrass, Montana. I loved hitting the border. And the one thing I wanted to hear when I went across, you go to the Border Patrol, they'd be there, a lot less busy on that northern border. And you go to the Border Patrol, and they'd look through your car, and they'd say, what are you doing? And you give them your passport and all this. And they would say this. I waited for for it every time they'd say welcome home i go oh that is the best words best words when you're out of the country welcome home this isn't what jacob was thinking he was leaving home it, it, it would be my thought going to canada going like if i knew wait a minute i don't want to live here it's too cold who in their right mind could handle weather like this you know okay i don't want to get anybody mad but Point of no return. This is where Jacob is. How many have been in the cave at Silver Dollar City? And you go down that, the stairs and they come to a place. Okay, this is it. If you want to go back out, this is the last place to take the stairs and go back out of here. Where is he at? A point of no return. A point of no return. And what they did was they stopped that night there in Beersheba, that last stop in Canaan. They stopped there and stayed the night. And what Jacob does here is so interesting to me. Because obviously there's an altar there or else he builds the altar. But there is an altar there. And as, as Jacob is getting ready to leave everything behind him, the land that he knew was promised to Abraham as he's leaving everything behind him, like his father and like his grandfather, Jacob builds an altar at Beersheba. An altar. This is not just simply an altar of remembrance like Abraham built with a grove of trees. This is an altar of sacrifice. Do you see what it says here in verse 1? Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father, Isaac. He's offering sacrifices here. He's offering sacrifices and you notice here in verses 2 through 4, he has offered his sacrifices, and God now is going to visit Jacob. He comes to him and he calls him by name. Oh, I love that. I mentioned that this morning that God knows us by name. He knows where you are. He knows every hair on your head. It ought to give you some joy tonight that God knows everything about you. He said, yeah, but he knows all the good. That's all right. While we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. Right? He knew exactly what he was getting. He said, I'll do it anyway. That's good news. God knows you and he knows your name. And he said, Jacob, <laughs> Jacob, he called him twice. Yeah, kind of hard of hearing maybe. Yeah. If you notice of Abraham, if you notice of Abraham, when God told Abraham to go somewhere, he told him one time, he'd say, Abraham, and he went. But when, he told, when the angel came to tell Abraham to stop the sacrifice of Isaac, he had to tell him twice to stop. Abraham, Abraham. This was, the, this, was the, this was the attitude of Abraham. God say, Abraham, yes. <laughs> and while he was saying, while he was going forward with the yes, it took two 
calls to stop him because he was just right there to, to go after the will of God. But here's Jacob. I, I don't know. He had to call him twice. I think that's interesting. Jacob, Jacob, he said, here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. I am God, God, that word El, El, the God, the God, Elohim. What is he saying? He said, he's telling God, Jacob that he is El Elohim. I am the God of creation is speaking. The God, the God. I am God, the God. That's what he's saying. I am God, the God. The God of creation is speaking to Jacob. And he's calling him by name and saying, Jacob, uh, Jacob. See, if it is true that it is the God of creation, if it is true that it is Elohim that is speaking to Jacob, if it is true that it is the Creator God who is speaking to Jacob, then what he has to say next is paramount in Jacob's life. There could be nothing more important here at Jacob's life. Can I take you back? He's at, he's at the point of no return. He's getting ready to make a big decision. He's getting ready to go somewhere that he needs to really make sure God's in it. He's going somewhere that it doesn't just really seem right. And what God does here is he reassures Jacob that it's okay to go down into Egypt. He says, fear not to go down. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation in Egypt. I will go down with you. And look at this. I will bring you up. That's what he says. Well, that would give you a little confidence, wouldn't it? that you're going in the right direction, that you're in the will of God. But I want you to notice this. Watch, God speaks to Jacob after he builds an altar and after he sacrifices and after Jacob speaks to God. Then God responds. Let me say that again. God spoke to Jacob after he built the altar, after he sacrificed after he had already spoken to God and God spoke to him. So he goes on. Here he is going down to Egypt with blessings, with promise, with the presence of God and Jacob and the family make it into Egypt. Look at verse 5. And Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters and all his seed uh, brought he with him into Egypt. And later you'll find there were 70 souls that went into Egypt. Seventy souls. God said, okay, I'll go with you. I, you. You need to do this. Seventy is going to turn into about two million in about 430 years. <laughs> yeah. And so, I'm trying to think how to say this. What's going on here? <laughs> You're like, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. Jacob came to a place of decision. He came to a crossroad in his life. He came to a place when he needed to hear from God. He came to a place when he needed to know the mind of God. He came to a place when he needed to make sure that he was in the will of God. Hey, one of the last times that God met with him was when he wrestled with him all night. Jacob, what is your name? Remember back then, what is your name? 
Wait, watch. God's calling them by name here, but back then he says, what's your name? What's your name? Well, my name's Jacob. Why was God doing that? Well, what does Jacob mean? Supplanter. Deceiver. You know what was holding off on the blessing of God in his life? Oh, listen close. Don't miss this. What was holding off? He said, I will not let thee go unless, thou, unless you bless me. And God says, well, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. He says, you're right, it is. Supplanter. Deceiver. You know, was, you know what was hindering God from the blessing in Jacob's life? Jacob coming to, listen, the confession of who he was as an individual, a deceiver and a supplanter. God said, what is your name? <laughs> he knew what his name was, but he wanted Jacob to say it. I'm deceiver. My name's Jacob. He said, you're right, it is. Yeah. That was the last time. This time, God just called him by name. Actually, he calls, eventually he'll call him Israel. But he says, Jacob, Jacob. You see this? Why? What is going on here? This crossroad in his life. What is happening here? What are we seeing here? Well, the one thing I see here that I want to focus on tonight is an altar. An altar. Yeah. They're all through the Word of God, aren't they? Altars. Abraham built altars. Isaac built altars. Jacob <coughs> built altars. Throughout the Exodus, Israel built altars. Gideon built an altar. David built an altar. Elijah repaired an altar that was built with 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, altars are all through the Word of God. Are you listening? Altars. Altars. You know what happens at altars? Things die. Things die at altars. No, when you bring something to the altar, it means that what you're saying is it's not coming back. It's going to die there. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is, reason, which is your reasonable service. Even in our own life, right? Paul said... Uh, you know, he said, I die daily. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not I, but Christ liveth in me. He said, he said I, I die daily. There, 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 there's death at an altar that is supposed to come. When you come to a place of sacrificing, it means it is not coming back. And we have got to acknowledge tonight that altars play a pivotal role in the life of a child of God. Amen? They're there all over the place. So what is the purpose of the altar? You know, I think the greatest thing to understand about an altar, although we know death takes place there, we know that's where the death of our will takes place, that's where the death of an animal took place, we understand that. But I think one of the greatest things that we need to understand about an altar is that we need to understand worship. Worship. Now, if you go back in the old times, in the time of Shakespeare, probably even before the time of Shakespeare, you would not have heard the word worship. You would have heard the word worth-ship. Worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H. Worth-ship got condensed and a little quicker and became worship. Worship. But the name would have, the word would have been worth-ship. And so worth-ship is the assigning to somebody their true worth. So, so, so in worth shipping God, 
We are assigning to God his true worth. Watch this. And we do that in our personal lives. We assign to God the worth, his worth to us and his worth to the world and the worth to his creation. And we can only assign to God his true worth in correlation to what he has revealed about himself. Right? Yeah. And everything that we know about God, what he has revealed to us, he has revealed in his word. And so when, watch this, so he has revealed himself in his word. The Holy Spirit of God uh, uh, illuminates his word and speaks to us through his word and, 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 and leads us and guides us through his word. So when we come to some truth in the word of God about the nature and the character of God, it should be the natural response of the believer to assign to God his worth, meaning we worship him. We worship him. Thou art worthy, O God. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and praise. We worship Him. We extol Him. Watch, we, we, we hear the truth of who He is and what He is and what He has done. And we assign to Him the worth that is due unto Him. So how is worth expressed? How do you express worth? You can express all sorts of emotions, can't you? You can express anger. You can express joy and happiness. You can express anxiety right, and fear. You can express all sorts of things. And uh, they show up on the outside of our mannerisms and the way our actions and our words and, and maybe the way you drive and maybe the way you talk to somebody. Or I mean, they just, or they're manifest all over the place, right? So how is worth expressed? Watch, what does worship look like? What does it look like? Well, you've heard me say this. Worship is expressed in three ways. It is expressed in time, spent. It is expressed in energy, spent. And it's expressed in money, spent. There are three elements to worship. Time, energy, and money. Time, energy, and and money. Watch, all three of these elements are spent, not collected. Do you know what average, you know, you know what the most of Christianity, the average under the umbrella of Christendom, do you know what they're doing today, what they call worship? Is God, gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, 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 gimme. Watch the bodily posture of most worship in the word of God is head down, is on their face before God, is spread out prostrate before God in worship and, 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 and showing the worth of God. And the average, quote, worship service today is heads up, hands up, saying, God, give me something absolutely diametrically opposed to what we see in the word of God, diametrically opposed to what a heart in tune with God would want to do in his presence. When John got into the presence of God on the Isle of Patmos and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says he fell at his feet as dead. He saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel had to say, oh, go ahead, you can get up now. Get up. So, oh, it's okay. All of these elements are spent. They're not collected. All three of these elements of worship uh, take from the reserve of one and give it to the account of another as an expression of value. Yeah. 
all of these expressions of worship can be spent somewhere else. Your time and your energy and money. No, we all spend these three things on other things. We have to. We're living in this world, right? I mean, our time and our energy and money. So you've got to work. Six days shall thou work and do thy labor, right? You've got to, you've got to buy food. You've got to have a car. You've got to, you've got to give. You've got to do all the things. They, they, they can all be spent on other uh, things. But worship is proclaiming the value of the truth that has been discovered. And it is proclaimed in time and energy and money. Worship is proclaiming the value of the truth that has been discovered. You read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God begins to work in your heart and you go, oh, that's good. I needed that. Woe is me. Oh, Lord, I needed that today. And it's expressed in time, energy, money. Whoever gets the majority of our time has our worship. Whoever gets the majority of our energy has our worship. Whoever gets the majority of our money has our worship. Worship is not a feeling. Right? Worship is not a uh, is not singing. It's time time let's you know, time for the worship and praise. You know, praise and worship. Well, I mean, are you gonna have, take an offering up too? I mean that's worship. Right? You know, worship is not exclusively a feeling or singing or, or expressive dancing or whatever weirdness they come up with nowadays. Though, though true worship does bring a feeling, absolutely. And true worship may be expressed in singing, absolutely. But true worship is really expressed in one thing. Listen to me here. Communion, submission, and death. You said, wait a minute, that's three things. Communion, submission, and death. You know where all that happens and takes place? It takes place at an altar. Yeah. Can I tell you the altar is one of the greatest expressions of worship in the Bible? The altar, hey, the altar is one of the greatest expressions of worship in the Bible. It is at the altar where God spoke. It is at the altar where submission takes place. It is at the altar where death comes. It's one of the, it's, it's like a pinnacle of worship. Right? You, you, hey, we're exposed to God and who He is. We're exposed to His truth. He speaks to our heart by the Holy Spirit. And we come to a place of, of when we receive uh, the, the, the wondrous things of God, we express ourselves by worshiping Him at an altar for what He has shown us. Watch this. Let me say it this way. We are acknowledging that what God has to say to us is so important that we're stopping what we're doing, we're getting down, and we're letting God know by our outward actions that the paramount word of God, we are making paramount in our own life. And as we come to that altar, we say, God, you're worthy. You're worthy. Hmm. There is no greater expression of worth than submitting yourself to hear from God and to die to self. One of the greatest avenues of worship. 
The Old Testament altar, it all, hey, it all pointed to one great altar, didn't it? All of the altars in the Old Testament, they pointed to another great altar, which would be an altar that God would build at Golgotha. A great place of worship. It was the altar where Jesus revealed his worth to his Father's plan. It is where Jesus revealed the worth of his father's plan by saying yes, where he died to self and died to... Remember that? Remember the garden? He said, uh, Lord, if it be possible, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Right? It was here where he revealed that worth. It was through Jesus' communion, through his submission, through his death, that we even have a relationship with God today. The altar at Calvary, watch this, watch this, this picture here. The altar of Calvary was out in the open. It was in front of everybody. It was in front of everybody. It was a place of open shame. Are you listening? Are you making connections? It was a place of open shame. It, it, was, it was a place, I mean, come on, friend. He, hang, he hung there without any clothes on. You talk about open shame. He could have called 10,000 angels, legions of angels, I believe, stood at the precipice of heaven waiting for the call to come, and he didn't call them. He hung there openly. The altar at Calvary was a place of death, death to his will and physical death. Hebrews 10, 7 then said, I lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written to me, to do thy will, O God. That's what Jesus said to his father. Luke twenty two forty two saying, Father, if thou wilt uh, be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Watch this. As Jacob was going down into Egypt and leaving, he was leaving the covenant land of Canaan. Watch. He stopped and he built an altar to God and he sacrificed there. And at that altar, Jacob was seeking communion with God. He was submitting himself to the, God, to the will of God. And Jacob was ready, though he had all of this anticipation of finally seeing his son Joseph that he thought was dead. He was ready to die to the possibility of seeing Joseph before he died by by. But if God would have come up and said, no, you're not going down into Egypt, get back. He was ready to die to that. Boy, you talk about something big to die to. Yeah. What was Jacob doing here? He was illustrating through a visible, physical act. He was illustrating, manifesting God's worth to him. He was worshiping God at an altar. Worship. Do you know seeking with a heart seeking the will of God, that's worship. A heart that's saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm here, I'm yours, that's worship. Yeah. He was worshiping there. It was at the altars of God. It was at the altars where God did some of his greatest works in the hearts of his people. It was at the altars of God, at the altars where God reassured his people, directed his people, forgave his people. It was at the altars where God, where God's people sought him and surrendered to his will and sacrificed to him there. 
They're a place of worship. I'm almost done. You ready? And they still are today. They still are. Say, am I collecting rocks and building something in my backyard? <laughs> no. No. You can. But that's not what we're talking about. Would you listen closely? Every time the Word of God is preached, standing before us is a choice to die to self and yield to the will of God or live to self and submit to the will of Satan. We have that choice. Every time the Word of God is presented, whether it's in your Bible reading, whether it's in a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, special meetings, revival meetings, missions conference. Hey, listen, on 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 your radio, on 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 your internet, if you're you know whatever. Hey, every time the Word of God is presented. Before us is the choice whether we're going to die to self and yield to the will of God or die to ourself or, or live to ourself and submit to the will of Satan. And altars are the natural outworking of a life that's worshiping. No, it's natural. Are you listening to me? You don't coerce somebody to worship who has a heart of worship. You don't have to say, now come on, come on. Yeah, let's go. Come on. No, 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 no. It's there. Yeah. I don't ever want Crimson Avenue Baptist Church to become a church with empty altars and dry eyes. That's dangerous. It is indicative of a life that's not worshiping. And a life that's not worshiping means that there is a life that is not responding to God. And we don't ever want to be there. We don't ever want to be there. Yeah. And do you know why so many resist the act of worship at an altar? I'll, I'll spell it for emphasis. You ready? P-R-I-D-E. Pride. Yeah. Remember what I showed you at Calvary? It was out in the open. It was open shame for everybody to see. Right? Alter, altars were not hidden. Right? It was public. They were done right there. And hey, listen, and you don't need a physical altar to do business with God. You can, do, you can, you can, you, we ought to be having a, 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 a attitude of worship and response everywhere we go. But I tell you what, church is so important and the altars at our churches are so important because there's no other opportunity to worship like this. It's a different one. Can I remind you, the Lord Jesus died for his church. It's a pretty important place, pretty important thing. What goes on here is more important than anything that is going on in the universe. That is not hyperbole. I mean it. It is more important than anything that is going on. And in this setting, we have the opportunity when God speaks to worship at the end of it all. 
I don't get a lot of times to sit under preaching like I used to. And you say, I know, I can tell. You need it. That's what my wife says. But I'll tell you what, I do enjoy, I love the opportunity to go. And as an altar just the other night, and I said, Lord, I, I don't have much to say, but I just love coming to a place and getting down in the heart of submission and humility and just saying whatever. I, I need this. I need it. I need the worship. Got to have it. Yeah. Now fix my wife, would you please? No, I didn't say that. nothing to be fixed yeah. yeah when was the last time you made an altar and worshiped God when was the last time you said the altar's not, I, I know it's over there in the corner I know we can't we don't have room for it I know that but you have a chair you have a heart I know, I know, so I can't get up again. I know, I get that, I get that. It starts right here, right? Yeah. But if you do have the ability to get down and get back up again, why don't we? Well, it's weird. Well, I guess we know what's being worshipped. Yeah. You say, boy, it's kind of mean. Not really, because you're the one missing out. You're missing out on the joy and, and just the, 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 the joy in the... I, can't, I don't have the words to describe what it's like when you get to that place of worship before God and submission and yieldedness and humility. Just saying, you're right, you're right. Whatever you say. It's a wonderful thing. Let's make sure we never allow this church to get to that place where the altars are empty. And worshiping ceases to take place. Because it's the easy, it's in the flesh, it's one of the easiest things to do is to say no. It's really easy. Right. And then once you do it long enough, it gets real easier. <laughs> yeah. We need this. Are you worshiping? Are you worshiping God? Is your work at an altar? Is it a natural part of your life? In the mornings when you read your Bible, do you have a place of worship? Do you have a place of an altar? Right. All over. What about here? We need the altars. God gave them to us. And we need them. Our Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity given us to worship you. You are worthy. Oh God, you're worthy. And Father, would you help us as a church and as an individual, as a people, to never lose sight of the, of the power and the magnitude and, and the worth that you have, that you deserve to be worshipped. And that our altars never, never get to the place where they stay empty. Where we, where we never get to the place where we cease to manifest your worth to us. May the lost world see it. May those around us see it. May we be encouraged by it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The instrument will play. However the Lord's spoken to you tonight, you respond to him, would you?
Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer tonight. He is worthy. Amen. 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 Be praying for the work going on across the street there. It's moving along. And I just need, need wisdom and prayer in that. And Lord, help us there. And I think some of you have gone over and seen the curbing. Hopefully here, maybe towards the end of the week, they'll be starting some flat work and getting that finished up. So looking forward to that. And uh, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer uh, tonight, and um, we'll see you Wednesday night. Uh, Brother Allen, would you close us in a word of prayer? Here, Father, we're respectful.